0: Two,
1: ready, one. Hello and welcome to Say That, the podcast for your big questions, get real answers. My name is Matt King. I'm your host here in the city of Chicago. And joining me here is Glenn Fitzgerald, the president of Mission USA.
2: Brexit! I I Anything don't know on that. I don't know exactly what that is, but I'm pretty sure it's when you decide you're definitely not going to be in on breakfast.
1: Yeah, that's, that's what okay. that means. I thought it, I thought it was those knockoff Legos, but your thing makes sense. no. Of it's so. like,
2: <laughs> are you going to do breakfast? or Are you going to Brexit? Sure. It's like a it's like an energy bar. Yeah, it's just like that. You don't have breakfast. You have Brexit. Yeah, that's a good tagline actually. There you go. I like it. That's how you know, I solid, understand it. Making yourself.
1: light of things that have real impact on people's lives. It's <laughs> a good way to start. Also, your name know, Jed Brew, the director of Mission SA Productions.
3: Brunch.
2: That's a British lunch. Oh,
1: that's what that is. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah. We're getting some vocabulary yeah. going today, yeah. man. Yeah. Not real vocabulary, but vocabulary no. nonetheless. Yeah. Joining us all the way from Oak Ridge, Tennessee, a man who has had ample time to come up with his own portmanteau. <laughs> Let's see what happens. One of the pastors of Christ Community Church, Lee Younger.
4: I actually was just thinking of saying, I have no portmanteau for my introduction. And wow. then you well, used the word portmanteau before I had a chance to use it. Yeah, you're
1: never going to out-French me on this, Younger. Just know that.
4: Well, uh, what if I Frexit? Mm. That's,
1: good. Uh, what's,
4: That's good. What's a, what's a Frexit? That is the French version. If Matt wants to get with French words on this show, then oh. I, I say I'm out of there. I'm not doing that. Wow! Did you really miss that, or were you just playing
1: along to the bit?
2: I really, I didn't. I missed that.
1: It's gonna be a long show, folks. My man, the favorite one, my the best one I saw. I can't remember. Somebody put this up on Twitter. Departugal. Oh, that's good. <laughs> oh, <From laughs> unfortunately, that's beautiful. That's beautiful. That's, that's very good.
2: You know, I might leave this podcast.
1: Yeah, I'm likes gonna, it.
2: Well, I'm I'm gonna take a vote. So okay,
1: you know, with yourself.
2: Yeah. I don't. I, I always, it's a
1: very contentious campaign. I'm, uh, I'm very.
2: I I have all the best ideas. Yeah. Would uh, would that be a
3: glending to real? Uh,
2: it it could <laughs> it could be it could be a glending. That's yeah. right. You know. Yeah. But uh, we'll see. Okay. Right. We'll see how it goes. Sure. Uh, there's a chance that you guys could curry my favor. Sure. Okay. And then that would be fine. Okay. That that sure. feels like a healthy relational dynamic. Sure.
1: Yeah. just gotta. That's the way Glenn likes to do management with his employees is just a constant, unofficial ranking of who's his favorite. That's right. In hopes that that will lead us to destroy each other. Right. In a desire for his approval.
2: This podcast isn't winning anymore. Yeah. It needs to be winning.
1: Well, that part's not true. <laughs> it's not the, uh, this podcast used to win things. No. No, it's never not won. Not true. You don't win anything anymore. Yeah. That, that, that sentence is true, but it doesn't need the anymore. Right. <laughs> yeah. It's a constant <laughs> state of being. <laughs> well, I, of course, most of the time we'd like to get right in, we'd like to go right from the Brexit to the wisdom. Sure. Right. We like to start with words we don't understand and yep. slowly morph, hopefully, into things we do understand. Yeah. Yep. But we, ha- unfortunately, have to interrupt that process this week. Because wow. I declare an unfinished emergency. Ooh.
3: Wow. Ooh. That's
1: really the best kind. Wow. Indeed it is. Last week, we uh, we started this emergency, but we got sidetracked with uh, the, the church sign, which uh, a lot <laughs> of you cheeky, cheeky listeners got in touch. Demanding. They want to know... They want the vulgarity. That's
2: what that's it is. Absolutely they want right. The naughty, sweet, naughty, sweet naughty. Vulgarity, like the
1: mystery and the vulgarity. That's right. Well, this is something that's vulgar, but in a much less fun way. Oh, as you may have mentioned, as I may have mentioned, we uh, started with our friend uh, Kenny down there from, I believe he's in the Carolinas. We're huge in the Carolinas. Totally. So, but he uh, he felt the need to send along a long screen cap, and we appreciate it very much. Of his Netflix choice of the night. Which was a little movie we had talked about before called Christian Mingle.
0: Ooh, nice. Right.
1: Now, I'll reset the scene for you. Kenny, uh, Kenny shared that uh, he didn't make it far. He said the uh the Christian Mingle was on the homepage of Netflix. They did the new releases. Right. And uh he said this really I will I will just read because he uh he emailed, which we get a fair amount of these emails. I love it. with Just a picture of something inappropriate. And then the text just said, I think you know what needs to be done. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wow. So I hit him back and said, well, that's great. Tell me more. He said, it was front and center on the recently added of Netflix. It really messed with me and my wife's Netflix and chill. Wow. I had to look at, I had to give it a look. And only got about two minutes in before we had to shut it down.
2: Okay. Right.
1: Now, I'd like to speak
2: to this situation. Please do. Here's what happens. uh, If I could speak to the young people.
1: Yeah. That's not going to go as well, but okay. Um,
2: I know a lot of you feel pressured to try Christian movies. Mm. Mm. All the cool people are doing it. Not true. Some of your friends say they try Christian movies. You know what? They they say they like it. Sure. They say that that's what everybody's into. All the kids at
1: school with the good sweaters try Christian movies. Yeah.
2: Yeah, and you feel like a pressure... It's what I like to call peer pressure. Okay, because, you just come up with that because it's yeah, that's you know, good. It's, it's good. pressure from your peers. Yeah, you I thought it was saying? that's because
1: it's pressure of people just peering at you. Yeah, right. staring no, no, at you. No, no it's. You.
2: Uh, I see where you're coming from on that.
1: Or is it, it pressure like on a dock that heads out into the sea? It's just, just like it's pressure. similar to
2: that. Yeah. Okay, but it's like in
1: Chicago, it's called Navy peer pressure.
2: That's right. It's very good. It's but in this case, it's like. You're on a pier that's far out, and you're trying new things. You're young. You feel nice. like experimenting. Sure, you feel invincible. You know, you're starting off with a fireproof. You understand sure. what I'm saying? You're <laughs> starting off with it. You're just, you know, pretty soon you're trying to score the heavy stuff.
1: Well, I, I think you're right. I think fireproof definitely anything with Kurt Cameron probably involves going to try the heavy stuff. I think we need to we need to reset our scopes all the way back to the gateway. Right. I think this all starts with the veggie tales. Yeah, it's, well, that's it's a gateway movie. It's colorful is, and it's adorable, yeah. in their songs. Right. And before you know it, before you know you're it, mainlining War Room. You're
2: trying. You're you're. <laughs> <laughs> you're trying to score some. You know, it's like you're on an alleyway. Yeah. And you're saying, "I got it." You're trying to, because you've seen it on Netflix. Yeah. But that's not enough for you anymore. Yeah. You got to have it. All the time yeah that 's right, so you got to get to disc you got to control you know? well sure. you can 't get buy that in places because you know it's uh people with taste don 't buy that
4: well so yeah. they well go ahead, I, Lee. not to cut you off glenn but i 've seen this process before and i 've seen i 've seen friends where you know they kind of have an intervention and they 're like right you got to stop man you got you got to stop right. and and we got to get you off of of these movies, and so at, kind of as a deflection or distraction, but it doesn 't really work. People will go just to full Hallmark movies. All yep. Hallmark right. all the time. So you've got, you know, your love comes softly. Right. And then That's a it's like a methadone. Yeah, it's just like that. Exactly. It's, just like you, that. it's it and, and the, the here's the thing is is that like for our friends in, in the Carolinas that, you know, you decide I'm just gonna start the movie, see what happens. I'm gonna sure. you know, even if you right. bolt after two minutes, the problem there is that you have now altered your entire Netflix algorithm. That's, that's right. Exactly right. They're just going right. to keep exactly. throwing that stuff up on your because
2: right. you watched, you know. That's right. And that the temptation's going to be there, yeah. you know what I mean? And this is what we had to tell people, you could you, you this damages you. Yeah, that's right. See, because you see this and you think in real life maybe professors would threaten to ruin A person's career, if they didn't turn atheist? Sure. That sounds plausible. (laughs) Yeah. Because you see it on the screen, and you think maybe that's reality. Yeah. Yeah. But there's not tiny people living in that box. Maybe. Well, Jed, but this is the thing. How would (laughs) they... They don't have any food. Do you see what I'm saying? You have to approach it from a logical standpoint. Sure. So this is... We're trying to help... you know what? This is like an intervention that we're having. With, with me right now? Yeah. It's like, uh, 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 at first, you yeah. said, I can handle it. Right, yes. You know? But then things progress. Sure. And it's out of control.
1: Well, but, I think you're right. I, I would like to uh, posit an alternate theory okay. that I think tracks right along with you. I wonder if this is less peer pressure and more conspiracy. Ooh, I like Ooh. the sound of that. I always like now a conspiracy. Here's the thing. Kenny mentions in the email that he and his his lovely bride there, and they're pretty newly married, were trying out a little bit what kids call the Netflix and chill. Mm. Mm. I don't know what that means. Nine. I don't want to know. They turned the air conditioner nope.
3: way, way down and watch a movie.
1: Totally. Okay. That, means. That's that what went it. a lot better than I thought it was going to. I started cutting Jet off before <laughs> the first syllable would even come out because I've learned. But then it turned out to be a false alarm, so that's good, right, too. Right, right. See, that's how I keep you guessing. Absolutely. But as I understand, the Netflix and chill has a certain... Physical component. Okay, if you
2: say so.
3: Sure. I, Again, I don't,
1: know. don't know what it means, but I see, I see, I see it. I see the words a lot. Could you, Jed? Could you give us a
2: little bit of the soundtrack? To what no. might happen
1: when there's a uh, Netflix and show? No, we
2: are not going to be just that a, kind of podcast. Just, the, just
1: the, <laughs> the, the the kind of music that no. would play in the background. Glad you, the, <laughs> glad you specified music for the soundtrack. <laughs> but even still, going to move oh, on. Just a little bit of a, nope. this, what would be the background. Nope. Don't you uh, put that no. on me, Ricky Bobby. <laughs> <laughs> going to cut this whole bit out. There you out. go. There the you go. Trail. Get in there, Lee. Nope.
2: Oh, girl. No. <laughs> You know what this Netflix and chill is doing to me right now?
1: You don't know enough about Netflix and chill
2: to do this bit, do you? No, I have no idea what it is. <laughs> anyway. Girl, well, I want to Brexit me ask with you this. right no. now. I don't even know. The-
4: let me ask you this. Before, we com- before you completely jump into the conspiracy, can I ask just one question for gl- from Glenn's old point that we didn't get to fully develop, and then, and then we got to hit this conspiracy angle, and that is if somebody is fully addicted to Christian movies, how do you detox off of that?
3: Yeah, it's a good point. Well, I can tell you for me, it's not that I'm addicted. I have Kirk ties. Okay. Oh, I watched Fireproof. Right. And now I have a spiritual connection to Kirk Cameron. Right. Just forever. So if you try to 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 watch other movies, exactly right. It's like I can't enjoy them. You can't because you're tied to. I'm
1: tied to Kirk. You're just right. watching Kubrick movies. Like this would be way better if Kirk Cameron. Died <laughs>
2: right. Right. That's right. Yes, it's, it's like just, you want to give your heart to the Stanley Kubrick movie. Ex- exactly, Do you I find
1: w- yourself watching 2001 but drawing sweaters on the screen? <laughs> where the people are standing, just Dude. mentally inserting Chick Fil A. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think that's rough. Yeah. Well, uh,
2: I think uh, that what we're what we're doing here
1: is we're helping the people. It because- can't be further from the truth. But I do want to come back to the Kirk Cameron point, because I think it brings us right back to the conspiracy here. Yeah. I think we have a a group, a pentavrit, if you will. Right. <laughs> your Kirk Camerons. Right. Your, uh, your Pure Flix people. Right. The Colonel. Yeah, your Colonel. TV's Kevin Sorbo. He puts a chemical in the chicken, I think. You know. Absolutely right. You're going to eat my chicken. That's yeah. right. That's right. The Rothschilds. Right. Right. And, of course, Joe Osteen.
2: Yes. Right. That's but
1: right. I believe that this is a shadowy cabal trying to use Christian movies being recommended on Netflix to eradicate Netflix and chill. Wow. Ooh. wow! Because you're young people, this is apparently what they do, and we're going to sit down and we're snuggled up. And right. eventually, I think that whole front page of Netflix is just going to be lame Christian movies. Right. What you're
3: suggesting wow. is that they're trying to erect almost a, a, a romance blockade. I can't think of another way to express that idea. Right. But
2: just... Just, they just—it's like they're trying to block an activity. Yeah, yeah
3: they, there's there's you know romance, and they want to block it. If you well, like just a to a move on coupe, quickly, you know, like a, a yeah
1: chicken wire. We get it. <laughs> we get it. Yeah, you flew too close to the sun there, didn't you, Chris? I did. I did. Got a little bit. <laughs> See, the whole reason that the church sign thing worked. Because it was scandalous, but we didn't come out and say exactly what
2: we meant. I love that this podcast has come into like become like an elaborate game
1: that <laughs> you yes, solve yeah. the mystery. It's chicken to find out the awful, <laughs> awful thing we're well, referring to. Well, that's the game, but the game within the game is between the four of us, right. yeah, to see who can get close enough to that line. Right, and it happened about six times in this emergency. Yeah, yeah. do one of those old Mad Magazine things and go back through and see if you could find. Yeah, every time that we right. were trying to tempt the other ones yeah. to come out and just yell something yeah. awful. Yeah, well, this has gone even worse than I could have imagined. So, um am go ahead and clear emergency off and, and tell you, move on quickly.
2: Tell you what's happening with me nope. right now is I'm I'm pinwheeling. You are pinwheeling, and that was good to bring that back. It's a call back on I, the call back. Did I did I, did I use it right? Sure. Yes you did. You did. Okay. Okay. you did wonderfully. Totally pinwheeling, dude. Yeah, yeah. I'm pinwheeling over this Brexit bar. That's very good. You know? Yeah. Are you trying
1: to create a sentence that's only words you've made up? Yes.
2: (laughs) You know what? People don't know what it means, but it gets the people going. (laughs) It really does. It
1: really does. Mm -hmm. Emergency off. Which is our indication to end talking about the emergency segment. (laughs) Good job, Matt! And move on. (laughs) Yeah. Well... (laughs) MissionUSA.com slash Bridgebox. $8 a month. You get lots of cool stuff. at Sports ministry. That's all I can do with the transition I've been giving nice people. Sig- I wow. feel it's a nice Herculean boy. effort Yeah, given You're doing what good. I had. You're doing yeah. good. Yeah. You can, hey, if you go to MissionUSA.com slash Bridgebox, you can get some free stuff that's there and just yes, download it and have it. Yeah. And also check out uh, the Bridge podcast. comes out every Monday. You can find it on iTunes, and that's all stuff in that Bridgebox service. But if you want to support the show and the ministry up here, that's the number one easiest way to do it, MissionUSA.com slash bridgebox. All right, we're jumping to our first question here. hang on with this all the way to the end, I'll give you some ways to get in touch with this. First question comes into our email inbox from our friend, superfan Nicole. Mm. And it says, I have been accepted to a really great school to earn my master's in social work. Somebody please say woo. Woo! Oh, a little That's bit braggy, news. but okay. Done. Really? Really? <laughs> I feel that the way we treat our superfans does not... Uh, incentivize people to become super fans.
2: Well, you know, if they earn our, you know, uh, approval, you you know, that's that's how you do it. See, this is
1: carrying everything from the emergency segment to the real part of the show and that worries me. Yeah. (laughs)
2: The blinds are blurred.
1: Yeah. Been accepted to a really great school to earn my master's in social work. Woo! Woo! Thank you. (laughs) I'm starting in a few months. I've always kind of known I would go into some type of helping field eventually, but I finally took the plunge and applied. Here's my question. How do you guys handle having a job where you are as a, where who you are as a person is an intricate part of your career? Like if I was an accountant, I could probably be a crabby person and a bad listener and I could still get my job done in an efficient way. But being a social worker slash counselor, I feel requires so much more of me emotionally and personally. I'm just worried I will be constantly burned out emotionally. I hope this makes sense. I truly just want to help people have better lives, but I also want enough emotional energy for me and my husband and hopefully eventually our children at the end of the day. And Glenn, you've been in professional ministry for... 700 years? That's correct. Like that? And so you've obviously had to navigate these waters and help other people do it. So yeah, you, you can
2: tell by my green skin and my little pointy ears yeah. how long I've been in it. Yeah, here's the thing is, uh, and I would give these points to myself as, as much as to you, as the things I need to remember in my own life. But uh, for sure, having st- strict boundaries and, and solid priorities are will be key for you moving forward. Uh, being in a helping profession is draining. There's no question about that. Uh, but I think the odd thing about uh, being in a health helping profession is I can go out tired mm-hmm. and come back just energized, mm-hmm. wired, total adrenaline rush. Just, you know, so there's no part of me that feels like I'm pushing myself past a limit until I have some sort of a physical breakdown or something, you know. Well,
1: it's worth pointing out that's something that can happen, we I'm not mm-hmm. saying that's something that happens every time you go out and help. That's right. Yeah, and that's the but thing. But you can get those false positives. Yes.
2: If you, if you don't have good uh, boundaries and if you don't set good habits, these are the, these are the things that can happen. Uh, a a disciplined schedule is is very key to doing that. That means this is my day off. I'm not going to do this on these days. I'm punching the clock at this time, or whatever those things are, that can be tough in certain helping professions to draw those lines. It's fairly tough for us in the work that we do. Uh, but if you know that's uh, the case, and you have to prioritize off time and things that that clear your head, you, know, you have to really be thinking in terms of uh, hobbies and pursuits that are good for what we call changing the channel, that sense of uh, you're stuck on something. So if you're gardening, you're not thinking about whatever your thing is. If you're going to a movie, you're engaged mentally with the movie. So it helps to disengage from what you're dealing with. Those kinds of things would be key. But I think the last thing I would say is uh, we have to be careful not to ride the roller coaster. And what I mean yeah. by that is we don't, when people are doing well, we don't find ourselves at an, on an emotional high. When people are doing poorly, we don't find ourselves on an emotional low. Because most people who are really struggling go through ups and downs before they yeah. get that gear and whatever.
1: And you're speaking about not being on an emotional high or low about yourself, right? That's, That's different right. than kind of celebrating the victories with the person. You want to do that, but right. you can't let that play into your. Oh, yeah. They're you're, doing great, so I am awesome, and they're doing poor, so I suck. Yeah, you're
2: yeah, absolutely right. You always want to tell them, hey, you know, the, the progress is good, and yeah. Uh, but you also want to tell them, you know, I love you regardless of whether you're doing well or not. And I want to hear from you whether you're doing well or not. Uh, and you and you have to remind yourself, uh, this person who's doing great today is, is going to have struggles tomorrow. And this person who's having struggles today, tomorrow will catch a gear and mm-hmm. they'll be right back on track. You're now, right. old people like me have seen that play out enough to where... You look at someone who's struggling and you say this this person's going to do okay yeah. and that's you, you can see the seeds have been planted you can see all the potentials there uh it, you don't know how long it's going to take and how much effort it'll take but it's there so you don't you don't you don't feel depressed about the fact that they're doing poorly it it hurts you to see them go through and have to learn things the hard way but you know uh you know ultimately where that's going to land and likewise you know you see somebody doing well, but you don't hang your sense of yourself and your positive uh, whatever on that. You right. say, hey, you know, I, I planted a good seed. He's doing good now. He's going to have his struggles in the future, and that's okay too. Uh, but for now, we're on a good track, and let's just do what we can to keep mm-hmm. it going.
1: Absolutely. Lee if I could get you to jump in here and kind of pick up on that, there's an, I- there's an idea of when we're counseling people and we're in these help impressions, and really anybody who volunteers, and pretty much it applies to everybody listening, um, emotional investment, which Glenn's talking by here, is a good thing, to a sense, but to be an effective professional and be even just help our friends and stuff, there also has to be a healthy amount of emotional distance. Yeah. So, how do we balance out having those two things in a way that kind of helps us do our job?
4: Well, I think um, exactly as you're saying, one one of the things that I love, kind of, it's in the same kind of the same vein of what Glenn was talking about, not riding the roller coaster, is that you have to be careful when you're in a counseling type situation with someone that you don't internalize their stuff into your world too much yeah what i mean by that is that like you know one of the things that makes people that are good at counseling one of the things that makes people good at counseling is being able to draw connections between a bunch of different kinds of situations or yes you know so so you know you you see this thing in this person's life and you you make a you know you make a connection with you know a sport that they like, or a book that you both understand, or whatever, or something in your own story, or in your own life. You're able to draw those kinds of connections, and that's important. Being able to draw connections is important, but at the same time, you have to be able to mentally, and this sounds weird, that you have to be able to to make connections, but at the same time, you have to be able to do some kind of compartmentalization, because yeah, 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 yeah. you can't internalize all of, like, so for instance, uh, you know, in, in our work, if if I'm talking to someone who is really having a hard time um, with their prayer life or something like that, well, I, I want to I want to have a lot of compassion and I want to hear everything that they're saying and I want to be honest about my own life, but I I don't want to internalize all of the things that they're going through as something that I'm automatically going through as well. I've got to yes, be able sir. to keep my life as a separate thing From what they're going through, that doesn't mean that I don't have compassion, and that doesn't mean that I'm not honest. Um, uh, You know, honesty is is a is a very important thing, but you have to be able to somehow not internalize every single thing they're going through as the thing that you're going through. That probably sounds almost exactly like what Glenn was saying with the riding the roller coaster, and I just stole that phrase. I'll be using that (laughs) from the rest for the rest of the time. But there is a um, but but specifically, I wanted to mark out this. This weird idea that, like, if you're good at counseling, it's because you can make comparisons and you can draw conclusions Mm -hmm. from a lot of different things. But at the same time, you also have to be smart about how you compartmentalize someone else's problems and issues because you also are actually the person in the conversation that sees where they're going to be. That's right. And that's an important thing. So you almost have to be able to compartmentalize (laughs) some of their problems and issues because you know where you're driving this thing. And you know yeah, where, mm-hmm. as a team, you and the person you're counseling, you want to get to. They very often, most times, are not in a, in a place to be able to see that or feel that or believe that mm-hmm. or even sometimes mm-hmm. hope in that. And so it's your job to, to do that both for their sake and for your sake because when you leave there you've got to be able to still be you and enjoy as you said your family your husband your your home like Glenn was saying the hobbies I know for me one thing that's been really really important in my work is specifically having hobbies that have a 1 to 1 yield you know so you know you do something like mowing the grass that when you're done with it it's done you put yes, in a certain sir, right. amount of effort and it's done i like to i like to do printmaking which is just a form of visual art and when i when I sit down to do that, if I put 15 minutes in, I'm going to get 15 minutes out that looks exactly like I thought it was going to look, exactly yeah. like the energy I put in, I got out. That's important because in counseling work, you don't know what you're going to get out when you sit down to have that conversation. You don't know how much time it's going to take. And so, but you have to be able to internalize, even f- to, you have to be able to not internalize all that stuff, even to be able to under to enjoy the balance that you have from setting a good schedule or the hobbies that you enjoy and stuff like that. Amen.
1: That's all a lot of really good stuff from Amen. somebody who, again, has had to deal with this as we all have in our work lives and personal lives. And Jed, I'd love to get you to speak to me. maybe Maybe let's open the, uh, the scope up on this a little bit. We have a lot of, everybody listens to the podcast, everybody, you know, we interact with They're all good people. They all have hearts. They want to, they want to help people. I think where some of our younger friends may have a problem is the difference between helping someone and getting really emotionally worked up about something. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'll tell you how that applies here and why I think uh, what I'd love to get, Jed, what I'd love to get you to unpack for us. So the three of us, I here in Chicago and it applies to Lee and his work down there. It's a little different uh, outlay. Uh, we work with people who are in just uh, horrific physical circumstances. Yeah. Um, we as an organization do not have the budget, uh, the legal authority or the power to go in and fix a lot of it. Yep. What we can do is show up on Tuesday and give them an encouraging word and help them plug into a good church that can help some of that stuff, hit them up a social service and they can do that. So that's what we do. But we are no more effective for that if we sat around the other six days and 22 hours of the week being really sad about their terrible circumstances. Crying a lot. That's right. We especially wouldn't be sad, wouldn't be helpful if we just did the crying without the helping. Yes. So how do we as we're talking about having an open heart and wanting to help, but as someone who, and, and a social worker, um, church volunteer, all this is going to happen. You're going to come up with someone who has terrible circumstances that you don't actually have the power to mm-hmm. work all the way through. So how do we make some peace and do what we can with helping where we can and giving, up, giving mm-hmm. it up to God outside of that?
3: Uh, man, those are great questions. I think there are two diagnostic questions that, Nicole, I'd encourage you to think about, and i encourage all of our listeners to think about. First is, what is your goal? What are we trying to yeah, accomplish right. here? So, Matt, Jed, he, my goal is just to end prejudice worldwide. See, that's, that's not doable. Uh, we, You right. don't have the power to do that. But, How about but a hashtag end prejudice? You could do that. That won't end prejudice, though. Oh. What if you declared war on prejudice? That's an abstract concept, very hard to do. <laughs> yeah. That's
1: also the uh, the less well received follow up to Pride and Prejudice is war on prejudice. <laughs> yes. Branch right. out.
3: Basically, uh, those are actually good thoughts because they are basically three answers to the what is, your, what is your goal. Option one is to make yourself feel better. Um, uh, when you start a hashtag campaign, and I don't say this in judgmental ways, just how it is, that's to make you feel better. Right. There's a thing going on that you don't like. If that's all there is. If that's all there is, that's to make you feel better. That's what that is. There's nothing inherently wrong with that, but we may want to note your hashtag campaign doesn't actually help the person who's suffering that injustice. Right. If you do hashtag end prejudice... It doesn't help anyone who's experiencing prejudice. Right. It just points out that prejudice is bad. Which, and,
2: and that you don't like it. And that and you
3: it. don't like it, that you're against it. That's right. fine. That's option one is to is to make yourself feel better. Option two, which feels probably more spiritual is to be sad about the suffering that other people are having. Right. Um, you know, we're going to, we're going to get together and talk about how terrible it is that people in this place don't have enough to eat. And we're, we're going to shed tears over it. There's nothing inherently wrong with that. Right. But again, that's not helping the other person. Right. Uh, th- this is a goal. That's still about you. Mm-hmm. Again, we're not even criticizing that. We're just saying to be clear on the goal, right. the third possibility on what is the goal is, to help this other person, to improve their situation. We want to be very crystal clear on what the goal is because the methodology we're going to use has to correspond with the goal. If you are a person who's going into social work, going into counseling, then your goal should be to help this other person, to alleviate their suffering, Mm -hmm. to affect their situation. We may want to note that given that then, none of this is about you. We want to be clear on that because we're going to have to do some counterintuitive things in order to help them. So we Mm. have to decide from the get-go what the goal is. Once we've decided that, the next goal, if we've decided my goal is to help them, help their situation, the next diagnostic question, and even more important than the first one, is Do they want to be helped? Right, right. Does this specific person want to be helped? Because I want to be crystal clear here. If they don't want to be helped, they're not going to be. Super true. Not by you, not by a megachurch pastor, and not by God, because God does not force help onto people. Right. Someone who does not want to be helped is not going to be helped. And if you bang your head against that wall, you will, convince yourself to, you will convince yourself in time to stop trying to help anyone.
2: Yeah, you can't want it enough for both
3: of you. No question about it. The question is not, do they need help? Of course they need help. The question is, do they want help? Mm-hmm. The question is not, do they deserve help? They deserve help. Right. The question is, do they want help? <coughs> Here, I want to give you one practical thing on that basis. You've decided, I want to help. Then I've asked, do they want to be helped? If, if it's yes to both of those, then the number one thing, and this, it builds, this is kind of what's behind everything that Glenn was saying, everything that Lee was saying, I want you to internalize this phrase, keep the ball in their court. Mm-hmm. Say it again, I'll explain it. Keep the ball in their court. Someone says, hey, I want to talk to you about the thing, and you know, I'd love to get your help with the XYZ and whatnot. Don't call them. Give them your card and say, call me. Right. When you're ready, call me. Now, that may seem like a very, very small difference. What could it possibly matter? It's a world of difference. It's a night and day difference.
2: Because what you're saying is you will drive the pace at which this works. Now, it allows you to be pretty assertive, too. I want to help you. You call that number. It's going to happen. If you're not ready, fine. Exactly right. But you've got the information for whatever. Exactly whenever. right. And it allows you to be assertive
3: when they call and say, well, here's my situation, blah, 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 I say, well, given that you are asking for my help, right? you have called me. Yeah. Here now is what I say that we should do, given right. that you called me. Right. It changes the dynamic drastically yeah. it feels like a small difference if you're if you're not thinking about it it feels like mm-hmm. a very you know, what what could it matter always keep the ball in their court mm-hmm. you know they say you know we should talk here's my card you call me you know they they say you know i'd i'd love to get your your help i need the the job thing come by my office with your resume we'll look at it mm-hmm. i'm not going to hunt you down i'm not you come to me with a it could be a crappy resume we'll fix it together you come to me with a resume we'll take it from there mm-hmm. The more that you put the ball in their court, you're actually helping them just by doing that. Because part of what you're saying is, I don't see you as a charity case. I see you as a person who is fully capable of participating in your own self-betterment, in your own recovery. You have uh, the power to affect your life. I want to help you do that. But you have the power to affect your life in positive ways. You are not helpless. And you are not powerless, and you are not pitiful, and I don't pity you. I am here to help support a person who is able to make changes and move forward in their life. That will be the basis of our relationship. If you will do that, what will happen is you will screen out everyone who's on the hustle, Mm-hmm. You will screen out everyone who's not ready and you will wind up instead with people that even if it feels off and feels weird at times, people who are prepared to make real changes, prepared to receive your help right. and gladly so and actually make good on it and get where they're going.
2: Well, and that becomes a cooperative effort, you know, where you're doing that in a teamwork kind of way, as opposed to two different competing ideas and whatever. This is a big difference in dynamic as you're saying. Yes. And I think this also deals with the 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 sense of if I you were talking before the people who kind of are doing this with a little bit of uh where they're putting themselves in the yeah. picture and this is this is somewhat about myself, those people I think it's useful to point out burn out easily instantly v- yes. just really quick and people pick up on it people who yeah. are in a hurting situation look over at this other person who's trying to feelings their way through this yeah. <laughs> and it's about them, and they just tune that out yeah they're just yeah. Well, and to that point, the thing that
3: we're describing here with um, putting the ball in their court, which is what we do at our bridge service, this mm-hmm. is pivotal to the way that we, that we do work. It feels cold. Mm-hmm. That, that yeah. feels like I'm almost making it hard on this other person. Mm-hmm. That's why you have to ask first, are you trying to help? You're trying mm-hmm. to help you or you're trying to help them. Right. This is the thing I guarantee you empirically will help them. Right. But if your ego's up in this, if your feelings are up in this, this will make you feel worse about you mm-hmm. doing it this way. Mm-hmm. So you won't do it that way. You'll do it a way that won't work, and it'll actually end up harming them and harming you and making you burn out. So you got to decide, is this about them or is this about you? And then do the things that will actually help them.
1: Yeah, Absolutely right. I think that's a great point to close off on because there are a couple things about that that I want to uh, take a second and hang a light on. One is, as Jed said many times, but this is the internet, so we're going to reincur, not criticizing people who do a hashtag campaign or post a sad picture or whatever it is. It's no problem. Yep. If that's all there is, that's that may be an issue. But basically what we're saying here is if you don't know any better and you're listening to uh, four guys with a combined several decades of experience doing this at this point, it seems like the thing that gives me warm and fuzzies would be the most helpful yeah, because it's the most dramatic. It's the most immediate impact. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, I, I, there was a hungry person at, outside the church. So I went in and made them a five-star meal because God's love is extravagant. And we sat them down and nothing wrong with that, mm-hmm. but that's one meal. What yeah. we would do at the bridge is give them a list of food pantries. We have uh kind of, gotten together over the years, which doesn't feel awesome, yep. doesn't feel sweet, doesn't feel like I'm going to write my book about this. Mm-hmm. It's giving someone a list of things that they then have to go do something. Mm-hmm. You're giving them the tools to do the job with. That's exactly right. But the thing is, if you make them the five-star meal and it's the whole thing, we brought in a chef, that's one meal. Yep. Um, if you got a list of seven food pantries you go to every day, that's weeks and weeks and weeks of groceries. So. Yep.
2: So it's like if, if you teach them to fish. It's just like that. Then they'll yeah. be eat fish and that's good for you.
1: That's true, yeah, it's that's high the same, you know. in omega three acids. it so that's is right, but all I have to say again, you have to look at that be you have to look at that that has to be an this one to start out with, with am I trying to help? what will help the most because those aren't necessarily the things that are going to occur to you uh, naturally, yes, the other thing about that, and this is kind of this applies to people who do this professionally, this just applies to helping out friends or family members, all that stuff. you have to ask yourself. What can I reasonably do? Yeah. Right. This, some of this has to be self-motivated because as Glenn's pointing out there, you don't want to get guilted. You don't want to right. get and this kind of all goes back to what Glenn was talking about in the beginning of kind of setting those good boundaries and not riding the roller coaster. Cause it can't be this person is doing awesome. Therefore I am awesome and I feel great and we're all here. So I have to put a hundred percent of my effort in making sure they are awesome. But right. if you, and if actually this is a weird way where, working in a structured environment like a social work like counseling Mm -hmm. is helpful you will have deliverables you will have Mm -hmm. go meet with this person tell them this give them this form Mm -hmm. and that is that can actually be very very Mm -hmm. helpful it's actually something if you're just a volunteer or something it's helpful to do it's helpful to sit down and pray through or talk through the mentor my goal is to go sit down with this person who's having a hard time and give them x resource so if i do that. I succeeded and then we can move on to the next one as opposed to I want to have a breakthrough and I want to feel great and I want this to be awesome. Those are all nebulous things that f- are going to really sap it out of you in the long run. Mm, that's right. All right. So we're going to move on to another say that interview. This is a very uh, cool kind of slightly different thing for us. So we've talked to a few writers. This may be one of the, The first times we talked to a person from the uh, website 538.com, which you may hear a lot about from their kind of election coverage. They do a lot of that, but they do basically anything you can statistically analyze falls under their, uh, their umbrella. So I got to talk to uh, a a very talented writer, really cool lady called Leah Labresco, who wrote a piece for them that we all passed around and really enjoyed called the sun is always shining in modern Christian pop. Basically what she did is she, analyzed the word choice in uh, <clears throat> super popular CCM songs, and it will not shock you surprise, if that you found out they were way, way heavy on super happy, shiny words, and not so much on everything else, so I got to talk to her about kind of what the impetus for doing that was, what she learned, some stuff she picked up, and there's a lot of really cool stuff, and some ways she applied that to her, her own life and walk, so we're going to take you to that right now. Well, I'd, I'd love to get you to, I'd love to open up with what was the impetus to look at this? You're a writer for five thirty eight, which is obviously a very data-driven site, but I mean, a lot of it is, particularly on the political side, is analyzing data that other people have gathered, but you actually kind of went through this and did the, the legwork yourself. What was the What was the spark of trying to look at what words were used in worship songs and Christian pop songs?
5: Well, it still started with data other people had gathered. I was looking at the Faso Law uh, website for ShapeNote just because I'm a big fan of ShapeNote, and I found out that in addition to being great singers, like the ShapeNote community has an enormous amount of nerds in it, just like me, so they'd already put together a big concordance with the number of times every single word was used in their hymnal for ShapeNote. And when I saw that you know, big, beautiful data set, you know, I wanted to do something with it, and that's why I decided to go through modern Christian pop songs and build a concordance of my own so that I could compare the two genres.
1: Those nerds are always setting us in the right direction. It's Absolutely. They're super useful for the kingdom. Well, and obviously the piece is fantastic, and there's some background to it. I was going through kind of researching you and just kind of reading up about your your book, arriving at Amen, and some other stuff you've written on Pathos, some other stuff you've written on Five Thirty Eight. You describe yourself in your Pathos bio as you you came to Christianity by picking fights with the smartest people I know. So did has that kind of outsider perspective, that somewhat willing to confront what other people may not look at, has that served you well both overall and in looking at stuff like this?
5: Yeah, I think it's given me the opportunity to be introduced to a diverse range of things within Christianity when I was learning about it, and I've tried to keep up that habit. Um, or how can you make it easy for other people to invite you into whatever they find most beautiful or most challenging or most perplexing about the faith? You know, one thing that I really benefited from in the path of my conversion is that, you know, I talk in the article about how Shape Note kind of occupies a broader range of human experience, good and bad, than a lot of, kind of, sappy Christian pop. When I was learning about Christianity, it was through my college debate group, and because we were debating all these different topics—education, assisted suicide, um, marriage—I kept seeing how the Christians I knew approached each of those questions. Um, So it was a wide range of, kind of, ways to look into Christianity, I kept seeing the same things that attracted me in all these different
1: to be. Well, and let's, and the actual methodology of the piece was, as you mentioned, looking at kind of pairs of words, the positive and the negative. What can that particular data data set that you have, are there wider conclusions we can draw from that? Does that tell us something about Christianity and more specifically, in this case, Christian culture? I think
5: what shows us is that, you know, unsurprisingly, it's easier to talk about the positive parts of our faith than the negative, Um, but you can talk about, when I look at the context of these lyrics, the negative parts without even necessarily having depressing songs. You know, sometimes I looked at um, grace versus sin 2.5 times as many mentions of grace as sin, but there's an extent to which you need to sing about sin, not just because it's real, but because it's hard to explain what grace is if you don't explain what grace saves us from. And there can be a uh, temptation to so tiptoe around the things that are hard for us, that are hard for other people, that we wind up watering down the hope we're offering.
1: Yeah, I think my, the example that sticks out the most to me looking at the data is about three times as many mentions of strong as weak.
5: Which mm-hmm. is
1: uh, certainly has some telling underpinnings, and as you point out in the piece, if you go not that far back in Christian history, um, you talk about in the piece about the, the effect the Cold War has. It hasn't always been that way. What's it's a very interesting idea. You talk about uh, you interviewed uh, someone who, an author who wrote about the transformation of Evangelicism, who talks about, and I love this phrase: "There was a time when Christian pop wasn't so Jesus is my boyfriendy."
5: Okay <laughs> yep.
1: but what I think we do we have a do you get a sense that people have an idea of these kind of things as stuff that just appears there's Christian radio there are ways people talk about Jesus and God that are just there, you know be it having that analytical mind or coming from an outsider, What have you both in worship but just in other stuff, what has it taught you to go around kind of poking at that stuff and looking at the stuff fun
5: place? This is one place where tradition is important, right? Because if you're a new musician, you're trying to be a Christian artist of any kind, of course you look at what's on the radio and you try it. You might try, subconsciously or deliberately, to match the genre you appear to see. And having a range of musical experiences within the Christian tradition, and looking back to the Psalms, which are kind of in some ways our first hymn, um, helps you to see that there's a wider world of Christian song out there than whatever happens to be the case at the moment, Um, and it's good to have that larger perspective. I think also that this really isn't just a problem with Christian music, that when you look at, as you highlighted, the number of times you you strong over weak, you know, that these things seep into our music because they've seeped into the culture, you know, despising people who are weak, and what goes with that? Trying to comfort people who are weak by telling them, don't worry, you must be strong, like, I like you. It's unimaginable. I would like someone who is weak. So you really, it it must be that you're strong and we just don't see it somehow.
1: That's a really fascinating way to look at it. It's interesting that you mentioned the Psalms because there's been, within recent months, the uh, kind of very high profile quote by Bono about this that exact thing and the way this exactly reflects music is, and I it's obviously, as you're saying, there's something larger there that something as, like pop music, people are pointing that, too. It's just a very easily identifiable thing. Was that just the easiest thing to get data on, or is there something specific about what's on Christian radio that you think is indicative of some larger uh, larger things that are going on?
5: Well, it's definitely easier to get data on. You know, there's a giant corpus that I can assemble of all the lyrics of these songs, which Billboard lists. And it's much harder for me to get a corpus of kind of all the ways people talk to a friend who's in trouble. Um, So that's definitely a part of it. You go where the data is. Um, But, you know, it's also just that this was something that, you know, in Catholicism there's a range of hymns, but I still find that week to week the range is a little narrower than I'd like at parishes than I'd go to. And I was just so comforted when I ran into shape notes. I'd gone to a friend's concert, which turned out to have a shape note theme. And I'd heard these songs that just kind of expanded my idea of what Christian music could be. Um, And I found them comforting at other points in my life, and I've recommended them to friends. So one reason I wanted to highlight this juxtaposition is just because I hope that people who read the article don't just go away from it, you know, thinking about the issue of how do we cover the positive and the negative, but with this actual tradition to draw on themselves when they need songs that are a little more comforting by looking at the reality of what's hard for them right now.
1: When You've done some follow-up blogs at Patheos about that kind of exact thing. How did having this information at your fingertips affect the choices you made when it came to worship experiences?
5: It's something where I like being able to draw on these hymns. I mean, I have the hymn books at my house. I go to hymn things. You know, I find those monthly meetings a beautiful time for prayer for me. But they're also... There are songs I can turn to when I pray for other people as well, um, because I can recognize my friends in the lyrics, in the same way that when I pray the Liturgy of the Hours, there are moments where I kind of get the psalms assigned to me by the order of the day. And sometimes I recognize myself in them, and sometimes, you know, I don't. The psalms experience being described as alien to me, but I can think a little about people I know who resemble that psalm and be prompted to pray specifically for them.
1: Well, you mentioned prayer, and it's a good uh, transition to talking about your book, Arriving at Amen, which focuses—it's an interesting dual focus that maybe we don't see a lot in Christian stuff—on your conversion story and also learning about prayer. How how are those intertwined? It sounds like prayer's kind of at the forefront of the way you process a lot of stuff about your faith. Is that true?
5: I mean, I hope. So, I think that's certainly the goal, but, you know, day to day, who knows? One thing that happened for me is that my way into the Church was kind of through a lot of intellectual and philosophical debate. So when I converted, it was essentially that I thought Catholicism was true, that God was real, but that didn't mean I knew Him in that moment or even immediately afterwards. So... I kind of had to learn how to stop thinking just about God as an intellectual proposition and start to know God and think with God, which is what prayer is. So I had the experience of after converting, of needing to learn how to pray and how to build up this relationship with God. And in the book, what I talk about are, you know, these seven particular forms of prayer, things like Lectio Divino or Divine Office or the Rosary, and how I kind of found my footing within them as a beginner. It's
1: a beginner is a really interesting way to put that. There's so much stuff in Christianity. And I wonder if that's part of what's going on both in the piece and in a lot of this stuff of people just being so inside the culture and just kind of assuming that's the way it is. When you do things like even something as gentle as questioning, why do we sing the songs we sing? Clearly there are people making choices as you point out a long series of people making choices both conscious and unconscious, to get something on the radio. There's a lot of people involved in that process. How have people in your faith community responded to that? You mentioned being Catholic. Obviously, there's a lot of tradition there. There's a lot of uh, stuff going on. How We've seen how that's been a rewarding experience in your faith. How has that been accepted in a world, in a particular culture, that maybe doesn't take questions so well?
5: Well, I mean, I think one thing is how you frame it. It's not as though I heard shape note and then went up to our choir director and said, "Sing these things instead." Um,
1: that's an important note know. for the people at home. Don't do that.
5: But I think a lot of the time, one of the best ways to start these conversations is to open up a question you have with what you find beautiful that's leading you to ask the question. Right? Like, yeah. I have trouble with this because, on the one hand, you know. This is lovely, but I don't understand how these two things fit together. Um, that I, try and, I try and elicit this from other people when I'm having a disagreement. It's good to know at the top of an argument what the other person, or to reveal what you yourself love, um, not what you're frustrated with. Although that's relevant, but start with what you love that leads you to be frustrated with the second thing.
1: That's really great stuff. Leah, thanks so much for your time. My guest has been Leah Labresco. She's a writer at Five Thirty Eight. You can find more about her and her book, Arriving at Amen, at arrivingatamen.com. Thanks so
5: much for having me
1: on. All right. Very cool of her to uh, sit down and talk to us. You can find more of Leah's writing at 538.com and you can find her book which we mentioned at the end of there all very good stuff all right fancy it was it's quite, very fancy. Fancy. quite fancy technically 538 is owned by espn which is owned by disney so i think technically we're now in partnership with disney well, i think wow. that's, that's right uh, and basically. that is certainly what i'll be telling future guests i try to book for this sure. show yeah it's great it's a uh, it's, uh, digital it's, content uh, provider for the disney corporation yes there you
2: go that's that's a thing
1: Sure. Yeah, let's go with that. That sounds great. Are we small enough that Disney won't bother suing? I literally just thought that. (laughs) But so based on what we heard there, and uh, very cool, especially at the end where Leah talked about kind of doing hymn sayings and kind of looking for stuff that had uh, more appeal to this kind of thing that's mentioned in the article, winter Christianity, kind of that more lament stuff, which is very present in the scriptures. There's a whole book about it. Yes. Uh, And hymns, all that. So I, I want to kick around to these guys kind of give us a real quick one recommendation for here's something that can be a book, a song, a movie, whatever that I think handles that side of kind of Christian stuff real well. And Lee, why don't you kick us off?
4: Um, I would say there's a, in general, uh, I've said on the podcast before, I like to read books by guys that are dead. And um, as far as Christian books and one that I would recommend very highly is a book called spiritual depression by D Martin Lloyd Jones, who was a pastor in London, took over for uh, G. Campbell Morgan, and but before he was a pastor he was actually an md and he starts a book about how do christians deal with depression talking about um diet physical uh you know you know physical uh things that can be done medicine all that kind of stuff and then gets into the spiritual stuff he's he uh it's it's just a brilliant book and um and it's it's not the uh shiny happy, you know, Christian pop kind of thing. It it really gets down into to what people are feeling and and what you can do about it. And um that again is spiritual depression by D Martin Lloyd-Jones. Absolutely, Jed. Uh,
3: there's a probably the least known C.S. Lewis book is a novel called Till We Have Faces. Yes. And uh that is uh that's an amazing and really tough book. Um that's a it's a hard Difficult, challenging story that deals with a lot of really, really tough stuff and really centers around the question of where is God in the midst of suffering is is really, really what it's about. I don't think you will ever, outside of the Bible, I don't think you'll ever read a better presentation of that subject matter, including a good place to land with all of it. It's, it's the, the phrase, a heartbreaking work of staggering genius actually applies. It's, it's an incredible, incredible book. So C.S. Lewis, Till We Have Faces.
2: For sure, Glenn. I think for me <clears throat> I the 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 thing I came up with is actually a, 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 I would recommend a movie adaptation of a novel that Stephen King wrote called Needful Things is a yep. name and it's basically an entire uh, story about temptation and uh, particularly in terms of uh, having what what we do to you know we have a thing that we want and what what the extent to which we're willing to sell out and and give in to receive those things that we want and we, you know making moral compromises and those kinds of things i'm fascinated by that kind of stuff um if you want to know what pastors talk about really good pastors talk about offline they don't talk about bible stuff and they don't you know get into nerd conversations about obscure bible passages or whatever what we're always talking about is sin and understanding yeah. sin and i think that's across the board what we're all talking about here is uh, it's important to consume a certain amount of media that helps us understand sin yeah. better. It's good to know, of course, about redemption and grace. And all, that we, we, without that, we wouldn't, you know, we'd it'd be nothing. But uh, that stuff is also very simple. Yeah. Grace is a very simple concept. It's hard to get your mind around the, the amazingness and the enormity of it but, and the implications of it, but it's a simple, dirt simple concept. You teach it to a small child. But the nature of temptation, how it works... Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm more tempted when I'm tired. I'm more tempted, more easily tempted when I'm stressed out. I'm more te- easily tempted when I'm hungry. I'm more easily tempted when I'm alone. All of those things if I that's important knowledge to have in order to fight temptation. Right. And if I'm reading a book or seeing sort of a morality tale play out where that that's happening, I'd learn something then that I can use to, you know, incorporate into my walk.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: Absolutely. On the end there, I would tackle on one more music recommendation. There's a singer-songwriter I really like, and a lot of us up uh, really on the show have uh, got a lot out of a guy called Andy Gullahorn out of Nashville, does a very kind of acoustic singer-songwriter thing. Um, but uh, musicianship's fine, great. The music is very good, but the, the lyrics are really stellar. And I particularly uh, recommend his album, Room to Breathe, which you can find on iTunes. All right, move on to our next question here. It comes in anonymously, and it says... Thanks a lot for your advice on say that. Though You're I had to on. listen a couple of times before I can really understand because I can't stop laughing at you guys. Huh. Worth well, pointing out here: not didn't specify things we say.
3: Just at us. Just at
1: us, which yeah, okay. is not an unreasonable reaction. No, right. well, that seems about right. I do have another question, and that: what's your take on the idea of friends with benefits? This dude keeps hinting, and I'm in between wanting and not wanting it. Thanks, and Jed, why don't you kick us off?
3: Uh, if you listen to this podcast, I bet you already know the Bible says sex should be safe for marriage. Uh, really? You, yeah. I hadn't heard that. Yeah, no, it totally says it. that. Sex should be mm. safe for marriage.
2: You need to get that message out there make sure people know about it. Yep. <laughs>
3: yeah, I'm going to get right on that. And if you listen to this podcast, you already know we're going to tell you it's a bad idea. But uh, given that, let's talk about why it's a bad idea. It is a bad idea for the same reason that you don't like eating food that's been microwaved. Here's the thing about food. I was talking with some fellows from the bridge. I was driving them home on Tuesday, and I like cooking, and uh, they like cooking, and so we're talking about cooking. Here's the thing. If you look across almost any kind of cuisine, uh, barbecue, French food, Italian food, whatever, good food is always cooked a super long time. Right. It's slow heat for a long time. That's how you make good anything. Mm -hmm. I I don't care what it is. It's all good food, slow heat a long time. Here's the thing. When you try and cheat that process, the food tastes bad. There's, right. just, there's just no way around it. Right. If you can take raw chicken and throw it in the microwave... And in two minutes, it'll be cooked. You can do that. It will, right. It'll be safe to eat. Right. It will be awful. Right. You super, super do not want to do that. Right. And if you try and cheat the process, you won't like the way it works out. And that's what you're trying to do here. The idea of friends of benefits is I want to cheat the process. Right. I don't want to build something that takes work and time. Mm-hmm. I want to just jump to the end and have chicken that's ready to eat. And you can do that. You just won't like it it won't, it'll taste terrible and it'll be dissatisfying and you'll wish you hadn't done it. Mm
0: -hmm.
3: That's it. Um, I mean, again, yeah, the Bible says sex should be safe for marriage and that's true. And yeah, um, there are a lot of of good reasons that um, these other brothers will get into. But the the key thing is um, this will not in any way be satisfying to you. Um, You're, you know, Some people would call it a get-rich-quick scheme. You're trying to get something for nothing. Some people would say you're trying to violate the laws of physics, get something for nothing. Uh, I'd tell you you're trying to microwave chicken, but it's all all the same thing. You're trying to get something that you'll like without the work that it takes to get something that you'll like. Mm -hmm. That never pays off. It's not just in this arena of relationships. Any area of life that you pick and you say, I'm going to do basically no work and just try and jump to the end and have the good part, it never works. It, it never, ever works. And it, it won't work for you. And we don't want to see you cheat yourself because the, the emotional energy that you could pour into uh, your friends with benefits relationship, you could put that same time and attention and energy into building an actual good relationship with someone worth building a relationship with. And then you could have a really good relationship at the end of it. Yep. So invest that time wisely, invest that emotional energy wisely, and then reap the benefits on the other side, just like when you cook something in a crock pot for 12 hours.
1: That is an apt and uh, somewhat disturbing analogy for love. But here we are. That's the kind of show this is. Uh, Lee, I'd love to get you to pick up kind of talking. And Jed makes a great point. It's a great way to approach this. Yes, this is a bad idea. You're asking the question because you know it's a bad idea. Right. I think we can get a lot out of understanding why that's a bad idea. But I also think we can get a lot out of understanding why this is an appealing idea to some people. And I think those are related. And Lee, I'd love to get you to talk this idea of why the idea of sex without intimacy is appealing to so many people and why it cannot work.
4: Yeah. So that's (laughs) exactly as Jed said, this is, this is the thing is it's one of these deals where, you know, like millions and millions of people have tried this before you and have gone on to give advice to the next generation. Nobody wants the advice. They just want to try it out for themselves. I think I can find the loophole.
3: Yeah.
5: You know,
4: (laughs) I think I can make this work, you know. And the reason is because you have like these unbelievable desires, and they're you know the, which are great and awesome. And the and and you're also you know you're, you're also exposed to the idea that the end all be all of all uh, the the of all of these desires and everything that you're feeling is sex. That's it. Right. Just sex. Right. Just an orgasm with somebody else you guys had sex together that's it that's the whole thing but exactly as matt said the thing that you want what the, the the thing inside you it's like the the sexual desire is actually driving you to something deeper and cooler which is intimacy and sex can be a part of that intimacy it's a huge part of it for a married couple, like exactly as Jed said, who has put the work in, who's put the humility and the forgiveness and the grace and the time and the words and all of that stuff and the, the friendship for a long time, that that is a that is a relationship that pays off both in sex and intimacy. But what happens is is if we try to skip to if we try to skip to just sex, then what we're longing for doesn't actually happen because intimacy requires all of those things that the work accomplished. The the work that Jed talked about, the work and the time, like the illustration of the crockpot is great just because all of that friendship and all of that mutual understanding and the trust and the, you know, the forgiveness when it's needed and the grace and all of that stuff that happens in a relationship where you put the work in, that leads to something priceless for intimacy, which is safety.
3: Yeah, I'm yeah, safe right. with
4: someone. Because yep. what intimacy means is I am fully known by somebody who, f- uh, who I also fully know. Uh, mm-hmm. The book of Genesis in chapter 2 says uh, th- about the very first uh, wedding that Adam and Eve, the, the man and woman, they were naked and they, and they had no shame. And that's a, it's mm-hmm. a Hebrew word. It's the Hebrew word bosh. And every time it's used in the Old Testament, it it could be translated shame, humiliation, defeat, and frustration. Those are the English words that that word is translated into. And when you are in a situation where you can be vulnerable with somebody completely, and you do not have to protect yourself from them because they don't make you feel defeated or frustrated or, or ashamed of yourself or humiliated, then you have intimacy. Now, that sexual relationship is going to be fun. It's going to be satisfying. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be all the things that you've been sold on your whole life that you can get just from an orgasm, that you can't get from an orgasm. Uh, Actual intimacy in a sexual relationship is as satisfying as all the rest of that. But if you just skip to the end, as Jed's saying, then you get something that's less than satisfying. It won't give you the thing that you want. But all the work creates the safety and that environment for intimacy that will actually make sex so satisfying and awesome.
1: That's absolutely right. That's a fantastic point. And Glenn, I'd love to get you to close out on, again, as we continue to explore why this seems like a good idea, even though on some level we all know it's not. I do think the main reason, I think our friend here points to it, uh, that people fall into these kind of relationships is because it seems better than nothing. Right. Mm. But as Jed is pointing out, uh, there's energy you're going to put into this relationship, maybe a lot more of it than you think. That could be going somewhere else, which means it's not. Right. So how do we kind of—how do we make that point to someone that this isn't actually a compromise between what you want and what you're getting right now?
2: Well, yes, because I I think there's a sense, uh, isn't there, of um, uh, that uh, I'm getting all of the good things and none of the bad things. And the bad things, I guess, is just the complicated uh, nature of whatever.
1: Absolutely, or even if you're someone who wants the intimacy, Lee's talking about um, physical intimacy without emotional intimacy is better than nothing. Right? Yeah. Uh, well, yeah.
2: And the the the, uh, the 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 emotional intimacy is good. Yeah. And you you want to have that. Yeah. And you, you, you can have that. Uh, and the thing is, if if you want it and the other person doesn't, then you need to move on to another person who wants yeah. the whole deal. If they want it and you don't, you should let them go and find what they want. If neither of you wants emotional intimacy, uh, you can't just do the sex part and just uh, leave the emotional part out because that's actually not how sex works. There's always an emotional consequence to sexual activity. This is I, I feel a little bit crazy trying to explain how sex works to such a sex obsessed society here, but it you can't divorce emotionality and sex, that's not and you kind of wouldn't want to. Yep. You know, that would kind of fully ruin sex. So it's I, I don't I don't really go yeah. Not to be crass at all, but if you completely divorced
3: all emotion from it, it would simply be masturbation, right? You yeah. don't actually need a partner for that, right. by
2: definition, right? So it's yeah, the it just breaks down. I mean, yeah. it's and the, the idea of I want this part without that part, and it's like uh, to, to extend your uh, analogy, it's like I, I want a cake, but you know, I, I I want to leave out the 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 yeast and the sugar. I never and taste the, the flour
1: part I, of cake. Yeah, I, I just leave that out. Yeah, I
2: just. Yeah. <laughs> You gotta have all these ingredients to have a cake. This yep. is how you know. You, uh, and, and again, as Lee's pointing out, you know this. Uh, it, it's it, it's it's that sense of well, I'm going to be the the one person that cracked the code on yeah. this or whatever. <laughs> uh, but what what inevitably happens is at least one of the two of you wants something more. Mm-hmm. And 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 here's the thing: the stuff gets complicated anyway. Yeah, it does. You know, it just. It it seems like this is going to be a light casual fun thing. It yeah. seems like why not. And I get the appeal of that. I understand the concept behind that. In in the very short run, that can appear to work over a very short period of time. But very quickly that just turns into something more. Yeah. Uh, uh so yeah, I think that that's really the bottom line on that. Just to offer one final thought, we're old yeah. um
3: increasingly all super of us. old. And uh, the 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 thing about that is we've kind of seen patterns happen again and again in people's lives. I could be wrong. Maybe this doesn't apply to you, but I, I bet it applies to someone who's listening. Um, if you are a young lady and you have a guy in your life who's saying, "Hey, maybe we should, uh, you know, be friends of benefits and you know uh, see how that goes," we don't know. It's a guess, but we've been around the block a few times. Here's a guess as to part of the dynamic there is that guy's saying. You seem to be single. Right. You seem to be relatively attractive. Right. And I think I can talk you into something that's no good for you, but great for me. Right. So uh, what do you say? Yeah. The the proposal here is uh, actually a huge insult. That's right. It's actually what it is. It's incredibly disrespectful. Mm -hmm. It's incredibly um, selfish on his part, and it's just hugely insulting. I it's mean, kind usually. of a, it's
2: just a skeevy kind of thing and what and let's say you're engaged in that and you meet a really nice guy. Yeah. And he says, "Are you seeing anyone?" You say, "Well, it's
3: complicated." I'm doing
2: a skeevy thing on the side. Uh, I guess I could stop doing that, you know.
3: Here here's the thing that we we want you to know and and you know, you you've probably heard this stuff before and I definitely feel officially like an old dude as I say this, but you deserve better than this. You, just, right. you, you, flat, you, you deserve to have a relationship with someone who loves you for you, who sees the things that you bring to right. the table, that wants to build a real actual relationship with it, with you. You deserve that. Absolutely. Um, it, Absolutely it, right. it doesn't matter what's come before in your life. It doesn't matter how many mistakes you, you have or haven't made, things you have or haven't done. None of that is relevant.
2: Right. right.
3: You deserve to have a healthy, Absolutely. happy, functional, satisfying relationship with a partner.
2: And, and, and off of that, let's also make clear that we're not judging you for considering it not or, or wanting that. I can speak for myself. Whatever you're thinking of on this, been there, done that, made those mistakes as part of what, what we're saying here. Absolutely. And it's important because I look it up when with friends with benefits that yeah. doesn't involve like dental coverage no no it's at a first, different kind of benefit at first i thought that's what that was yeah it's
3: You've like been sitting a, on
1: that joke for a long time like How a low
2: you? deductible
3: but th- this is the thing I just want to be want to be super crystal clear on this one i want you to hear me for a second if you're looking at this and you're saying i'm a forward-thinking young person who's sex positive and i you know it's just bodies whatever. hey if that's where you're at Whatever, you know, do do what you got to do. But if your view is, I think this is about as good as I can get for the time being, no. That's a problem. That's the the thing that we want to, in the strongest possible terms, say, God says no to that, we say no to that, and you should say no to that. Mm -hmm. Again, if that's not where your head's at, it's fine. I'm not trying to plant thoughts in your head. But if your head is in a place of, this is as good as I can get, this is as good as I can pull off, absolutely not. You deserve a healthy relationship. You can have a healthy relationship. Yep. And heck, if you write us back, we'd be glad to talk offline on steps you can take in your own life to get to that healthy relationship.
1: That is a perfect place to end. If you have a question for us, say that podcast at gmail.com, thebridgechicago.tumblr.com. We're talking about kind of uh, music and art that is the flip side of the, as I have occasionally derisively called, shiny, happy Christian model. So uh, we're, going all, we're going way back into the Jed Brewer archives off an album Jed put out many years ago called God Quit. There's a song called The Religion of My Youth, so we're going to take it out with that. Thanks for listening. Just remember, Ooh. we love you. God loves you. There's nothing you can do about it.
2: The say that podcast, hey, super fans, we want to Brexit and chill with you. Is that a thing? Yeah! <laughs> no! Yeah. Oh, I man. rebuke
1: that <laughs> in the strongest possible terms.
0: The religion of my youth I found out was a lie, Made of rules I could not keep And a God who could not be satisfied Cutting out a cancer always hurts Dying for no reason is worse